This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Thus continues our winter of our discontent. Of course, it could be worse because uh, it's been years now of discontent out on the prairies. And uh, I certainly feel for those folks, the latest salvo that uh, I guess, or one of the unkindest cut of alls is that this big project that they were anticipating would uh, bring in excess of 7,000 immediate jobs and operational jobs. It was about 10,000 in total, 20 billion in economic activity. That's the Tech Frontier project that was a uh, well, an oil sands project just northeast of Fort McMurray discontinued when the CEO pulled the plug on Sunday. And he mentioned that, uh, well, you know, things have kind of changed uh, in terms of what we can anticipate going forward. The country's got to get its act together on environmentalism, the whole climate change file, as well as indigenous rights and so on and so forth. Just a real dog's breakfast out there. The prime minister, I'm sure, is tickled because he didn't have to actually make the call or his party didn't, as was anticipated in just a couple of days hence. Where does that leave the folks out west? Uh, curious to gauge their reaction and response. Joining us on the line, Richard Masson, Executive Fellow at the U of Calgary School of Public Policy. Richard, good to have you on the Oakley Show here in Toronto. Good afternoon. Good to be here, John. So what is the reaction in Alberta to this latest, uh, you know, I guess setback, if you will? Well, I think people were stunned that uh, tech pulled away at this late stage after all the work they've done. They've been working on this project for 10 years. They've spent $1.1 billion on it to get it to this point. You know, they managed to make uh, agreements with 14, all 14 Indigenous groups that were going to be affected by it. And, you know, those those communities were really counting on the jobs and development that would have come with this project. And they were only days away from hearing what the federal decision would be. But for some reason, they decided that the risk of moving through this last little bit of the process was, was so great that the board you know, said they got to pull away, they got to withdraw their application. So we haven't seen something like that uh, around here uh, for quite some time, and it certainly sends a very negative signal about investment in the uh, resource sector in Canada. Well, that's interesting. There are a couple of points that you just raised. For example, the approval, uh, unanimous by the Indigenous communities, the Métis up there were expecting, I guess there was going to be prosperity finally visited upon their communities in a big, big way, uh, signing uh, a lot of letters of agreement and so on and so forth. And I think it was Don Braid writing in the Calgary Herald the other day. He's got a good point. First Nations approval is meaningless as a consequence, isn't it? Well, you certainly need it. I mean, you got to, it's a table stakes for any project these days, and companies work very hard to get those agreements. But, you know, what's, what's you know, if you meet that bar, it still doesn't appear to be good enough. Um, so it's a, it's a real challenge. That's partly what I think was partly going on here was how is this decision going to be made and what are the criteria that will be applied and, you know, they come in late in the process, you don't really have a chance to address them. If a company knows what's expected of it, it'll do its best to meet the bar. But if, if it's unclear or the rules are changing, that's a risk that they're, you know, hard to deal with and, and you know, leads investors to go other places. Well, that was the explanation given in part by Mr. Lindsay, the CEO of Tech, uh, when he was saying that, I guess the ground has kind of shifted, or at least Canada, you got to get your act uh, and start singing off the same hymn sheet when it comes to addressing environmentalism uh, or climate change, you know, have a uniform set of rules going in so we know exactly and our markets know what they can anticipate. Investors get a little skittish if there's uncertainty, as you know. Uh, is that being accepted by Albertans or some pointing the finger at the prime minister and uh, just the whole tableau of rules and regulations and ragging the puck, if I can use that analogy, over the years 
that it just wearies people and capital investment from wanting to invest in Alberta? In, in my mind, it's it's yes, it's the government, but it's also the people, right? So we see right now with the LNG Canada project, which I like to use as an example because it's easier for people to understand. That project is at $40 billion, the largest private sector investment in Canadian history. LNG is taking natural gas that we can produce in Canada very effectively, liquefying it, putting it on a ship, and moving it to the Asian market. The LNG Canada project, because it uses uh, state-of-the-art technology and because it uses a lot of um, clean power from the BC hydro grid, um, is going to be the lowest greenhouse gas intensity LNG project in the world. And then that LNG, when it's delivered to China, is going to displace coal. So it's a great environmental benefit for the world to do that project. However, as we see right now, there's and, and that project has made all kinds of strides to work with Indigenous communities. There's 20 Indigenous agreements in place. But still, our country is pulling itself in knots about that project. And I think that's kind of the environment where tech looked at this and said, if we are going to go down the path with the frontier mine, is this the kind of thing we're going to face? Is this going to harm our reputation globally? And is it something that our investors are prepared to to walk through? And, and you know, it's more than just the government. I think the people in Canada need to figure out how are we going to approach resource development so that we do it in an environmentally responsible way that we can all get behind. I've also heard, though, that uh, much of this is seen as signaling through the prime minister. Uh, he's never been in favor of and reluctantly, I guess, at the end of the TMX debacle, uh, decided to buy it uh, just as a way out an off ramp. And even though that's going to be cost prohibitive, uh, does any of this dial into direct blame to the prime minister? Well, you bring up Trans Mountain. I think that's another good example when we put these one after the other. So, so if you think about Trans Mountain, it was a lot like tech, right? So Kinder Morgan had worked for years. They operated the pipe along that right away for 65 years. They'd worked with Indigenous communities, local communities. They had many agreements in place. Um, but at the end, they were getting so much political uncertainty in Canada that they decided they had to pull away from the project and the Canadian taxpayer had to step in to take ownership. So there are two black eyes. One is that whole affair, and the second now is tech. And those are big international things that investors see. And so as as Canadians, we need to get together. We need our government to have clarity around rules. We need them to be able to articulate that we want to see resource development. And we need to recognize that we're very good at this. We do it in a world-leading fashion. We employ the latest technologies. You know, we, we work hard to obtain Indigenous engagement and try and ensure that they're going to benefit from this. Not everybody agrees, but... For what we do, I think we do a very good job. Again, with Richard Masson, Executive Fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy on the uh, latest installment in woes befalling uh, that province, and that was the tech cancellation of the Tech Frontier uh, mine project that was uh, looking to, I guess, bring about $20 billion into the economy. Uh, that follows on the LNG project that was scuttled, $40 billion, TMX. In all, uh, the number is about $150 billion of resource development is stillborn because of, uh, well, the ineffectual policies surrounding resource development, or they've been forestalled by uh, people, as you say, uh, maybe taking their cues from the government federally. But, you know, there are some who are also saying resource development is dead anyway, uh, Global prices don't make it, or they, 
don't make sense, I guess, for development. So Alberta needs to transition to something else. What do you say in response to that? Well, you know, I think there's a, what I would say is right now the world consumes 100 million barrels of oil a day. And that has been growing at about 1% a year. So next year, it'll be 101 million barrels of oil a day. Now, Alberta, Western Canada produces about 4 million barrels a day. So 4% of the total global supply. But we sit on the third largest oil reserves in the world. And so every forecast I look at, and I've looked at a lot in the last few weeks, sees global oil demand continuing, either growing or you know, staying in a range of 80 million barrels a year, 70 million barrels a year, even to 2050. And in the world, oil production declines every year just because reservoirs get reduced. So about half of the total production in place today needs to be replaced with new production just to keep the world standing still. So there's all kinds of opportunity for us to effectively develop our resource and meet the world's demand. And that demand isn't driven by North America. It's all driven by growth in Asia as billions of people move from poverty into the middle class and want to have a lifestyle similar to ours. So so that's the kind of thing, you know, the global context. I think investors recognize, you know, oil and gas companies in, in Western Canada recognize there's a long-term future for sustainably developed oil and gas resources. But can it be done at a global price threshold that makes sense for development in Alberta? Well, it can. And, and one of the things I'd say a lot of people have said, well, tech was depending on $95 oil prices. At the time they put their application in, which was five years ago, they had to use the price assumptions that were around. And that, they were high prices back then. So yes, prices got, oil prices have come down since then, but uh, so have the costs of building things here in Alberta because we're not an overheated economy anymore. So uh, a company called IHS Market puts out a study periodically. They say capital costs for building projects are down about 33% and operating costs are down about 40%. On top of that, there's all kinds of new technological innovations that continue to be developed in our sector. And so there's new technologies that can be employed to further reduce costs and greenhouse gases. So, you know, what I would have hoped for was that tech was going to get its environmental approval, which would allow them to you know, incorporate some of these new technologies, find partners, and get come down to Bay Street and try and get financing for their project. So it's very unfortunate it didn't turn out that way. Again, with Richard Masson, he's from the University of Calgary School of Public Policy on these matters of resource development in Alberta and uh, how that province is reeling because of the cancellation most recently of the Tech Frontier Mine Project. So, you know, when you mentioned even earlier, Richard, the LNG project, $40 billion, and that's not going ahead as well. I guess that was the Patronus one. Is this a case of maybe the communications uh, are not strong enough from Alberta, making Alberta's case and cause, and maybe that dials back into the federal government needing to advocate, because the argument is that this is a cleaner type of fuel in terms of emissions, and if we send this off to China to replace how many coal-burning facilities they're building in a week, it's like one a week, they're not uh, slowing that down anyway soon. India, for the same extent, uh, Maybe the export, because I know that was Andrew Shear's argument, too, in the macro sense of things, if it's a global issue, climate change and emissions, uh, we can help forestall some of the real dirty stuff by developing our LNG and exporting it. Uh, is that a story that's not getting out strongly enough? Well, and I think part of it is because of the way we count things under the UN framework. You know, Canada has a target. We set our, our domestic target. 
And we don't get any credit for the resources we export, even if those resources we, we export them are going to help the world overall. So yes, you know, the LNG Canada project, is, which, is, which is the one that's linked to coastal gasoline pipeline where all the protests are, that'll add a million and a half barrels a day, a million and a half tons per day of greenhouse gases against Canada's total. And that makes some people say, well, gee, that's inconsistent with Canada's stated goal or the new objective that's been set for, uh, you know, net greenhouse gas emissions of zero by 2050. How do you square those things? And, and it's partly because, you know, how we count things in within our borders doesn't recognize the benefit it provides overall globally. We haven't established an international system that allows for those kind of recognition yet. So, so there's things we could work on, I think, as, as countries, as society, that would help us all understand better how this, how this all fits together, because it is kind of complex. It is. And uh, so finally, let me ask, I mean, the immediate impact on people's psyche, I mean, is there uh, a more palpable Western alienation today than ever before? I mean, in this Buffalo Declaration that came out, Michelle Rempel and uh, others signing on to it, kind of an Alberta firewall reminiscent of Stephen Harper back in the early 2000s. Is that very much taking root or it's uh, gained new currency? I would say this is another big, big um, chink in that hole path, right? So it's it's not like everybody expected that project to be approved for construction next week, but it was something that has gone through a very long process. It's 30,000 pages of evidence, all kinds of hearings. And so, so, you know, for people who pay attention to it out West, a lot of people said Tech had done an outstanding job as an operator trying to get that project to be as good as it could be. And to see it pull away at this moment, it really sends a signal that we don't support the development of our resources as a nation. And that's very frightening for a lot of people because a lot of folks were waiting for the rebound to start to to come. We haven't built any momentum here in the last four years. And a lot of people are just hanging on by a thread. So I would say this, this whole thing is getting, you know, front page news, saturation news coverage, and it's just not good for um, the, the Western economy. It's like a dagger to the heart, understood. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, I guess for what it's worth, you know, from Central Canada anyway, you have my sympathy. Uh, just hope that we can get off the schneid and uh, somehow see things turn around for you all out there. Richard, thanks so much for your time and explanations this afternoon. Thanks for the opportunity, John. Have a great afternoon. And you, Richard Masson, Exec Fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.